Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I love dogs and cats and the people who care about them. I'm here every week with authors and experts to expand our appreciation and our understanding of the ways that animals are part of our world. To hear other episodes of this show and other informative pet talk radio shows I co-host with top veterinarians and experts, please go to RadioPetLady.com. Dog Talk is a production of Pet Media Inc., which is solely responsible for its content. The Radio Pet Lady Network is partnered with my other enterprise, the Dog Film Festival, which celebrates the remarkable bond between dogs and their people. I'll be taking the festival across the United States, including Washington, D.C., Rochester, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Phoenix. I hope to see you in East Hampton, New York, on August 2nd, and at the second annual Dog Film Festival in New York City, October 15th. You can find more information at dogfilmfestival.com. This show is brought to you with the generous support of Waruva, a privately owned pet food company that uses people food to make food for cats and dogs in their family's human food facility. Pouches of their cats in the kitchen, their more economical BFF, best feline friend, and all varieties of canned Waruva for cats and little dogs are made with the same care and specifications used to make food for people. Waruva's owners want to feed your pets and their own dogs and rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, for whom the company is named, with ingredients that are good enough for people to eat. I have a wonderful group of women today. Lori Wise is, we're going to talk to her in Los Angeles. She has downtown dog rescue in Los Angeles, helping the homeless and their dogs. You know how much that matters to me, so I'm very excited to learn more from her. Karen Myers will be here. She's um, the Animal Wise Architect event for, it is very cool, to do with cat shelters and raising money for her her feline spay and TNR work. And then Jennifer Erdman is going to be here with a new product called Yogurt which is sheep's milk-based, really beneficial, delicious treats. I'm thinking of eating one myself. Lori Wise, welcome to the show. I am in a total awe of what you've taken on and what you've accomplished. So may I just say welcome and congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the show. I learned about you from Suzanne Kogut, who I had on the show um, not long ago, the president of the Petco Foundation, as you well know. And I said, tell me about some groups doing extraordinary work that the Petco Foundation has made grants to and believes in. And the minute that I heard about your work with the homeless on Skid Row and how I, I read a little on your website, and I want you to tell the story of how you became such an extraordinary guardian angel to these people and their pets. I thought, wow, this is what people need to understand is that the homeless and their relationship with their pets is their maybe one of their only links to what we call society. And and how you came about doing that is just totally amazing. So tell the story of there you were and, and explain Skid Row a little to people who uh, aren't L.A., don't know what Skid Row was. It, back in the day in New York, it used to be called Bowery Bums, people that live on the street, basically, and, and are sleeping and lying and passed out in the gutter. And that when I lived in L.A., that was certainly true of Skid Row there. It, it may have changed a lot with social services, but... Tell how you came to create Downtown Dog Rescue. Uh, well, this goes back uh, to 1996. So downtown L.A., anybody that's familiar with Los Angeles now and downtown, it's very gentrified. There's, you know, condos and there's lots oh. of excitement, lots of, lots of buildings and things. But Skid Row still exists. In fact, um, it's, it's uh, really problematic. There's, uh, thank goodness, we have a mayor right now who's pouring millions into... 
uh, resources to aid homeless people and just people that oh, are nice. in transition. Which nice. is, yeah, it is it is wonderful. But um, back in 1996, spread, uh, Skid Row was really spread out and much larger. It's condensed down, but it's still all the same problems. So quickly, you know, working uh, at a furniture factory very close to Skid Row at the time, you know, I met a lot of people that were homeless, and I saw they had dogs, and they were, in fact, even rescuing dogs, you know, dogs that somehow got out, were living on the street. Maybe they were born on the street. In many cases, the homeless person was the first person that offered that dog, and sometimes cats, any kind of kindness. Um, but they didn't, you know, they didn't have the means to take right, care of them, right. health problems, spay and neuter licensing. So that's really how I got my start. It's just one dog, one person, and it kind of snowballed into thousands. Or even the money to pay for their food, the human's food or the animal's food. Right, correct, correct. So, um, I well, was just going to the 99 cent store at first and just buying food and, you know, going to the market and just buying food for the dogs and the people. And I guess one of the things that, that strikes me the most is how many of us have, if we have any contact with homeless people, which happens more in cities than it does in L.A., which is such a kind of a sprawling, more suburban-y, urban -y kind of, you know, everyone's protected in their car. They don't walk. They don't make that that connection, is how few people stop to think, there but for the grace of God. I mean, really, there's so many people before, during, and after the economic downturn who were living one paycheck away from being homeless. And many of these people have addiction or mental illness problems, and they've been homeless for a good part of their life. But they're humans. They're humans, and they're living with four-leggeds who probably on some level make them feel more human. And as I understand it, you recognize both the animals and the human needs, which is something that is sometimes hard for people in animal rescue to recognize that that relationship and the condition that the human's in is very important, just as important as the animal's condition and relationship. There's sort of this idea, well, I'm going to go rescue that dog from that person, and I'm going to get that dog a nice home with a suburban yard, which is not what we're looking for, right? Correct, yeah. A lot of the dogs um, that I encountered and, and still encounter, uh, sometimes that's the only life they've known, and, and that's a big challenge. It's a, it's a big challenge for everybody that works with people that we define as chronically homeless, and there is a big, a big um, degree of people that are chronically homeless, that there's mental illness. And um, the sad thing is, and I think the thing that people don't realize, is how many people are homeless, and they have always been homeless. They've been in foster yes. care yes. most all of their life or in group homes, and they term out. And that was something I really, um, I, I never really thought about until I started doing this. And there's a lot of people that fall into that category. Let, let's talk for a minute since we're on that subject about terming out. When I was living in Los Angeles, one of my, when I lived in East Hampton, what I did for the community was to be a volunteer EMT. What I did in Los Angeles was be part of a group called United Friends of the Children when there was a rather Dickensian facility called McLaren Hall. Um, that locked up children who were homeless or abused. And when they became teenagers, and this is the work that United Friends of the Children now does, and reached maturity at 18, having always had this really bad lot in life, they were just out on their own, right? I mean, that's what terming out means. You reach a certain age, and there are no more resources for you. Kind of a, a shocking fact. Yeah, no, and it, it, it really is. And um, the, the types of lives that... 
a lot of the people have led and have shared the stories yes. with me. They're really just appalling. And, you know, when you talk to somebody, you know, you're trying to write a grant or something and immediately, you know, and again, this is, you know, more than a decade ago. It was very, very hard to find funds to fund any of the types of programs that we were doing. It's like, well, why don't they just get a job, Lori? Right. Why don't they right. just, you know, why, why, I mean, why do they choose to live on the street? And, you know, you try to explain that they don't have a family. They don't have resources. Their circle of friends um, are oftentimes in worst case or, you know, they're, they're no, really no better. I mean, their resources are just the people that are living on the street with them, and that's not going to get them up and out. In some cases, you know, Skid Row is full of predators, and you might have somebody that is struggling with something like autism, you know, right. and, and it's, it's not a mental illness, but it is something that's really going to radically, you know, make you different, you know, or at least appear different. And a lot of the, the men and women I'd come in contact with, of course, they'd self-medicate. And, you know, we were starting this dog rescue kind of at the tail end of the whole crack epidemic, and it was still very, very... Um, you know, raging on the streets. So we've got people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and older's addicted to crack cocaine in addition to having mental illness and no real marketable job skills. It's almost impossible to get off the street. I mean, they don't even have a mailing address. They don't have any belongings. Their Zero. belongings are yeah. in that shopping bag or in that shopping cart. Uh, so let's go to the dogs. And the fact that you recognize that if you were able to bring spay-neuter to these communities, which you did and have done, that would make a huge difference, you know, in the overall quality of life of the dog population in general. But getting dogs licensed so that they could be something that actually belonged to a person who had no belongings, maybe this was the only thing they have in the world, if you don't have a physical address, you can't get a dog license. So tell how you worked around that. Well, I was able to work around that. First, I have to say, we have a great Department of Animal Services. We've had many general managers. We have Brenda Barnett right now who's been very, um, very easy for me to work with, and I can bring any programs. But back then there were really set rules, and there was just, no, if you're homeless, you can't get a dog license. So I, I you know, made friends with one of the clerks who's still a very dear friend of mine. He's a dog trainer, Larry Hill, and he said, hey, if you can give me an address, well, you know, we started using our furniture factory I'll because be it darned. was in L.A. So we started getting, you know, then it became, well, it's a, it's a place to collect everybody's mail. So other things that had to be mailed. And, oh, my you know, goodness. So it was kind of a resource center uh, for many, many years for people to come with their dogs if they were injured or in many cases, you know, because if you sleep on the street, you can be arrested if you're not up, you know, get up at 6 and at least make an attempt to move your things off the sidewalk. So a lot of times, you know, dog owner would go to jail. I mean, this is less than 24 hours they'd be there. But they'd take the dog. They'd have no other choice but, you know, take the dog to the animal shelter. Oh, my God. So I got to know animal control through that way and just going and paying fees and reuniting, driving the person up there to the shelter oh and putting Lori. them back, you know, putting them back with their dog. So it's wow. basically what we still do today. We help people that are homeless and very, very poor, we pay the redemption fees uh, to get those those pets back with their owners rather than sitting there and, and maybe they'll get adopted. But 
why would we want to focus That's on right. adopting somebody else's animal when there's already a home? So. And, and when that ho- when that relationship between that homeless person and the dog has yes. profound meaning, it's not something cavalier. I mean, they are they're buddies. They're they're co you know co survivalists mm-hmm. in a harsh and cold world. And if and if one of us lost our dog, you wouldn't say, well, it's just as well. You know, they'll get a better home at the shelter or you know be put mm-hmm, to sleep, mm-hmm, depending. Mm-hmm. So is that the reason that the the um, dog tag mattered so much to get them licensed because then they had a legal owner and could not be immediately euthanized if they were to be separated from their homeless person? It, it, it is part of it. Um, part of it was just a sense of, and we still use this, it's a sense of accomplishment uh, for oh, many people. Nice. It's just that this is this is the law and we want to help you in every way uh, abide by the law. And part of it, of course, for me, it made made the whole idea of getting especially female dogs spayed. Um, you know, I will pay for the license every year. It was a program, and we still we still offer that. Um, you know, um, it's just it it is your legal property now. As long as dogs are still considered property, and they are. Um, in this way, if somebody steals, and we actually had one case where a man in, in animal rescue supposedly stole one of our homeless uh, gentlemen's dogs, and they were licensed, so we were able to take this person to court. And you did that. The dog. And you did that for the for one person and one dog, because every single person and dog matters. Correct. And a huge amount of your time and energy. I mean, anyone can imagine. Uh, if anyone understands what the traffic in L.A. is like and the distances to go between the Skid Row area and wherever the, the county animal shelter is, we're talking pretty much, you know, half a day out of your life at least. And, and you know, how do you communicate and make a plan with somebody who's homeless coming out of prison? They don't have a cell phone and an iPad. No. I mean, these <laughs> these challenges are things that, that there's so many things that we who have a home and have a job and have an extended bunch of people in our life take for granted. And I think that to see the, the people who shake out in society and fall to the bottom that, you know, to, to have this compassion for them and to ha- give them this sense of mattering and of dignity and that their animals matter and their animals have as much dignity as possible is, is deeply moving to me. Um, one of the movies in the Dog Film Festival that's coming to Los Angeles June 18th and 19th is called Myra and Prince, and it's a beautiful, beautifully made documentary by a social worker who specializes in homelessness and pets um, called Christine Kim, and it's called Myra and Prince, and it's about this woman who remained homeless until a shelter could be found, the PATH shelter in L.A. that the Petco Foundation, ironically, strangely, mm-hmm. all full circle, mm-hmm. had paid to add a small dog-cat facility to that shelter so that the homeless people could would accept the shelter for themselves because she wouldn't accept shelter and leave her dog on the street. And so I, I just want to say that I'm, I'm very pleased to announce that Downtown Dog Rescue L.A. is going to be one of the recipients of the, the benefits, the financial and awareness benefits of the Dog Film Festival. You don't have to come to the party with an adoptable dog because all of your people have their dogs. They're not looking to get them adopted. But I look forward to meeting you at the party. VCA in West Los Angeles is throwing a big fat party on the, the roof of their beautiful big medical facility. They're tenting it. And, uh, and, and Myra and Prince will be there. And I'm looking forward to you being there and looking forward to the people who care about what you're doing, learning about the film festival itself 
which is on Father's Day, which to me seems a really good day for a dog film festival because so many people consider their pets their kids. So many guys consider themselves the dad to their dogs. And so many families could celebrate Father's Day by celebrating not just, you know, what these dogs and other animals mean in our lives, but a, a moment of reflection to what it's like for people who have no home, who have no father. I mean, many of these people, as you point out, they have no father. How's, how's that for an idea? They've got a dog. That's who they've got, you know, and they have downtown dog rescue putting some, some wind underneath their wings as well. What is your, what is your goal, hope? Do you see any, any sunshine through the clouds in the, in the year or years to come? Have you seen improvement over the situation? I, I only see improvement every day. <laughs> I couldn't keep doing this. Thank I, God. I have to tell you, I don't, I don't see a lot of dark clouds. I think that um, the time has really come for not just homeless people, but there's so many people that I think that are just one step away from being on the street. They yes. might be living in their car. I mean, these are the people that really are the shadow population. They're living on somebody's couch or they're living yes. in a garage. And there's just so much more awareness and real uh, empathy towards helping more people. I mean, just surviving the Great Recession that we all went through, a yes. lot of people have never come out of it yet. And, and we really need to do everything we possibly can to help them. And making dogs, and in some case cats, part of their life on the street is part of how you survive and, you know, you keep your sanity. And even if your sanity is precarious, it's, I think, one of those things that it gives you a touchstone. And I just think it's important that as everybody goes around their world, whether they see it on television or they see it in real life, to recognize that those people on the street, especially if they have pets, really are not all that different from you and reaching out and giving them something. I don't know. What is your feeling about that idea, Lori, that people have? Well, if I just give them that, I'll just spend it on liquor. And a lot of people, at least when there's a dog, they think, well, I know he's going to spend it on dog food because those dogs look actually better nourished than the people often. <laughs> Oftentimes they are. I, I just, my my life in general, I just, when I give a gift, it doesn't matter if it's a homeless person or whoever, right. I give it and I don't look back. So people have to be okay. And if they have a feeling that they might spend it on something that they don't want them to, then go buy the actual object you want right. to give it to. Right. Or ask them what they'd like. You know, a lot of times yes. people just want, uh, they might have a dirty blanket and they might just want a new blanket or they might want just a soda or something that yes. they like, you know, yes. and it's just, just buy it for them and wish them a good day and don't worry about, you're really helping them and maybe that little bit of kindness will make them think, you know, maybe people don't want me to be on the street. Maybe there are some nice people because I'll have to tell you uh, that is probably one of the most common things that I've heard over the years. You're the only person that I actually had a conversation with that isn't asking something of me or asking me to do something or fill out a form or telling me how my life should be right. except me how I am. Yep, and I think that that's, that's a important. really, really important part of what Downtown Dog Rescue is doing. Of course, there's a huge homeless population in Santa Monica also, um, yes. but things aren't quite as grim there just in terms of the environment. Although now, as you pointed out, downtown L.A., like downtown New York used to be, it's mm -hmm. pretty spiffy and lots of, you know, million-dollar people driving around in their Audis. <laughs> so if you're driving around in downtown L.A., just go go to Petco, buy yourself a whole bunch of dog food, right? And just stop when you see anybody with a dog and give it to them. But 
please, if you're going to give them a canned food, have it be a pop-top because they probably don't have a can opener handy. Lori, it's wonderful (laughs) to meet you. I'm very excited to meet you in Los Angeles um, for the Dog Film Festival and to have the people who care about you enjoy and think about and, and be uplifted by what they see in the film festival. Keep up the great work. I'm so, so grateful to the Petco Foundation for supporting you and for introducing us. It's, it's just a great feeling to meet you. You have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much, and thanks, uh, thanks again for inviting me on the show. It's, it's a pleasure. pleasure. We'll, we'll stay in touch. I want to hear more good, happy stories. You take care. Bye-bye. We'll be right back after this quick word with Karn Myers and the Animal Wise Architect event. We'll be right back. This show is made possible in part by Precious Cat Litter, owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian in Colorado who has created innovative litters for the health of all members of the family with low-dust litters that allow everyone to breathe easier. Precious Cat's newest health monitor litter has broken new ground by allowing people to find the early signs of kidney disease in their kitty cats and intervene before damage is done, prolonging the quality and length of a cat's life. This show is also brought to you with the generous support of Nordic Naturals, omega-3 fish oil products that provide dogs and cats with the same premium quality omega-3 fish oils as for people. Research shows that even the best diets are deficient in the essential fatty acids found in omega-3 oils. However, all fish oil is not created equal. The Nordic Naturals difference is that their oil comes from Norway, where they use responsibly sourced healthy wild fish and third-party testing to guarantee purity and freshness. I am back with Karen Myers. You may remember she's been on the show. We've talked about Fix Nation, her extremely successful and dedicated effort to do TNR and uh, and also, uh, well, spay and neuter. Some of them isn't even totally TNR. The kitties in Los Angeles and now Architects for Animals is giving shelter for Fix Nation. That's the name of this event. Karen, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. Tell me what it is. It, it, it was a mouthful, Architects for Animals Giving Shelter for Fixed Nation. But <laughs> it's cool. It's a very L.A. kind of thing. Um, it's, is it like at the Pacific Design Center where, where really cool architects make awesome-looking cat houses? or how, What's going on? Yes, yes. And actually, this is the second time we've done this. And uh, Architects for Animals uh, is actually um, – the founder is Leslie Farrell, and she's out of New York. And Farrell as in feral cat? Is that just an accident? F-A-R-R-E-L-L. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know. What a coincidence. I tell you. And uh, I had seen that she had done this in New York, and I thought, wow, well, cool is this? we got to do this in L.A. Yeah. And I, I thought that, you know, maybe even eventually we could have a little competition between New York and, and Oh, what fun. But I, I reached out to her, and she said, yes, absolutely, let's do it in Los Angeles. And what it is is architects, I mean, architects that build beautiful, magnificent homes and buildings, and um, they are building shelters for homeless cats. And um, our last event, there were 14 shelters that were magnificent. I swear, if they were bigger, you would want to live in no them. No kidding. Just, just amazing. And um, and that's actually on our website. So if anyone you know wants to check that out, they can. So that's fixnation.org. Is that the right website? Correct. Okay, goody. And um, and this year we're we're doing a couple other things too. In addition to having the architects, uh, and this, by the way, is a friendly competition. 
so um, there's not any money involved, but it's just, you know, beautiful structures for these homeless kitties. But this year we decided we're going to add a couple other components into it. And um, we're also going to have a Hoss Panther-style lounge there hosted by Kate Benjamin, who's co-authored Catify to Satify and Catification with Jackson Galaxy, who, by the way, Jackson is on our board. Very nice. They've, they've both been on the show before with their books and with their, their good hard work and the wonderful House Panther website great. that has so many gorgeous, classy things. She's definitely a style maven. So they're, they're going to fit out a couple of these shelters with, with uh, interior design? No, no, no. What we're going to do, because this is held at the Herman Miller showroom. Okay. And um, so it's like three three components going here. First, we have, as I said, the L.A. architect and design firms that are going to display, you know, these outdoor dwellings. And then, um, Hoss Panther style, we're going to give them a space within uh, Herman Miller. Oh, I see. Build out. So not only do we talk about the housing for the kitties outside, but we're also going to be housing for the kitties inside. And, of course, you know what their work is like. It's not like my house with a bunch of cat trees. It's magnificent. You know, again, you'd want to live in it. And then the third thing that we are doing um, is last time we had little bowls just sitting outside the shelters. Um, and that's how we would vote. We'd put little paw prints in there, and then we'd decide who would win. Well, I said, well, why don't we get celebrities to paint cat bowls? Oh, my goodness. So now... I have gotten over 16 celebrities. Wow. Like, like Jay Leno, who's a client of ours, Morgan Fairchild, Bo Bridges. Wow. Um, uh, all kinds of people that are painting these bowls that will be there. That doesn't mean the celebs will be there, but the bowls right. will be there. Right, <laughs> and, um And then they'll be outside the shelters and people will be voting. And then we'll have a... We're going to actually have an auction, but the auction will be online, and it'll start that night. Um, and are we talking? Is Mar- am I right that it's March eighth? What is the date? It's right, right it coming is, up. It's March tenth, okay. which is a Thursday. Okay. And it's going to be from five thirty to nine thirty, and it's going to have a vegan and vegetarian food and black cat vineyard. Nice, nice. Already donated. Um, so it's 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 going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited, uh, particularly when I start seeing these cat bowls come in, and I've seen what some of the architects have already done, and you're just like, wow. So how? Let let me make this clear. So you go to the Herman Miller show showroom, which is in West Hollywood, right? No, it's actually um, in um, Culver City. Oh, really? I'll be darned. I thought everything to do with design in LA happened in West Hollywood and that, that kind of corridor, but I guess. They can. They people are allowed to go a little, little afield. So Culver City, <laughs> March tenth, and you pay money, and that money goes to Fix Nation to come to the event and have the yummy food and the and the black cat wine. Is that right? And then you vote in person by using each of the shelters. They're not places where cats are being sheltered. They're these physical outdoor shelters in theory, right? And you vote by putting a little token in the celebrity painted bowl in front of each. Of the architect's renderings. No, they're not renderings. They're actual shelters. And are they going to go on the street afterwards? Uh, yes, they're going to go up for auction. That's what we did on the last ones. But so, then, but then, is there a place where homeless cats, where it's going to be placed, and homeless cats can actually use it? Is there? Are, are you allowed to put it in kind of a public place where there's homeless cats? Well, there are, there are many places that aren't public. Um, 
which you know that people have love these shelters for in their backyard to care for their kids. Oh, nice. So, no, these are actual structures that they come and, you know, they'll, they'll be eventually auctioned off, just like the cat bowls. And, um, no, they're, they're beautiful. They're absolutely so you're saying people that, people that have a, a, a trap-neuter release colony of their own that they're looking after on their own property, they, yes. they would be the ones who, for whom the shelter would be perfect because so many people do worry. I mean, L.A. doesn't have super cold weather, but there's the rainy season. And, you know, sometimes even just in the boiling sun to, to have a shelter to get into to get away from the elements, people don't quite know what to do. I mean, you can't put a cardboard box. And, I mean, you also you want it to look nice for yourself as well as the cats to have the, the comforts of home. So it's actually a really great thing for someone who is maintaining a colony. Do you have a lot of people that are that are uh, supporters of Fix Nation who do have colonies of their own? Oh yes, we've we've got so many people. Really? So and and you know as you mentioned, I mean this just makes it beautiful. Okay, you've got some kind of shelter out there, but then now you can look in your backyard and see something which is truly one of a kind. Yes. And, Built by an art, uh, uh, I'm sorry, an architect that is, you know, just stunning. And you're like, again, if they were bigger, you go, can I, can you make that a little bit larger so I can move in there? That's <laughs> funny. And I suppose, you know, technically, you could, if you had a few cats of your own that you allowed outside from time to time, they don't have to be feral cats, right? Although that's who you All look right. after at fixation, they could be house cats who just would love to have a place to hang out. Tell me how things are going um, in general in L.A. I know the last time that we spoke, there was the problem of public funding not allowed to be used for spay-neuter. I think that's changed since we spoke. Tell a little bit about where things stand kind of legally for the, for the homeless cats of L.A. No, unfortunately, the injunction is still in place. And so explain, the, no explain the illogic of that to us, please. Well, I think it's illogical, but... Um, there is an injunction against the city to support financially uh, spay and neuter of homeless cats. And, but and, when I say the illogic, how, no one can really wrap their head around why. what would be driving such an absurd injunction. The money, the public funds exist. Who would benefit? Who would vote for? Who would support? Who would create? Who would sustain such a ludicrous, illogical injunction? Well, it's it's a judge for the city of Los Angeles who made the final decision. There was, you know, litigation brought on by uh, some autobahn organizations. They got the injunction. Oh, it's to do with the uh, with the 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 free singing birds that somehow exactly exactly. And for us, um, I know we discussed before. For us, it's like, well, we're not putting any more kitties into the environment. Right. We're taking the kitties that are already there, fixing them, and making sure they don't have any more babies and just honoring their lives and let them live out their lives, whatever that may be. But, we're, you know, we don't see how we're hurting. We feel like we're helping. But, unfortunately, that injunction still is in place, and so, therefore, there is no government funding at all to support this. So we are constantly fundraising because the service that we provide, we provide for free. And that costs money. Well, you know, I think what's what's amazing about it is that if you think about the idea that if you are spaying and neutering cats, then they're not going to be free roaming. They're going to be much more settled down because hormones drive all kinds of behavior, not to mention many more unwanted cats. 
and they're being fed because TNR cats have somebody, a caregiver, who's usually feeding them at least once a day. So those cats are not going to be driven by hunger to do any variety of things. The other thing that I've never quite understood, and those of you that give money to the Audubon Society might want to stop and think about this, cats don't generally leap several hundred feet into the air to, to grab birds out of the air. Yes, they definitely eat rodents. They find and hunt and and kill rodents, which is, thank you very much, a very nice thing to do for the health of our society. But the idea that these feral cat colonies are threatening the bird population, how has anybody ever seen the logic of that? I mean, it has something to do with the nests, but that these birds aren't making nests that are highly accessible to the cats. No, I know. It's it's hard to understand, and... And every time we come across somebody new who who you know, learns about what we do and we tell them what's going on with this, and they're going, but that doesn't make any sense. Right, going, right. No, but it is. got to live with it. You know, I just have to live with it. So we're hoping, we're hoping that that will change. And, and I know that there are various organizations out there trying to, to, to help do that. But it, it is, it's a court order. So it's going to... It's not an easy fix. It doesn't go sit down and convince somebody to change their mind. It's right. A process, so. Right. It's it, it's just gotten enmeshed in the legal system as as yep. things can get. And at some point, no one stopped and said, "Well, hang on. There's something illogical here. Something fundamentally illogical." <laughs> the Audubon Society. I'm asking this, and of course, the Audubon Society is not a person. And they may have position papers about things, but I hope that there's some intelligence at work. Do they wish that there were no cats outside of houses in the world? Is that their wish, that all cats be uh, indoor creatures only, incarcerated indoors and not be allowed outdoors? Is that their, is that their position, do you think? Or have they stated that? Well, I, you know, I don't know. And, uh, again, Audubon consists of many, many, many chapters. Exactly. So. They don't all feel the same. I mean, there are um, Audubons that are working with TNR people uh, in Northern California, working together. I'll be darned, uh, which is as it should so, be, obviously. Which is what we should be. I mean, you don't really want to see. Yeah, we just you hope that someone just doesn't wish death upon these cats, and that we try to find a solution together. Um, but I would imagine this with anything they're always those who who probably feel they should be gone so um it's it's hard to understand and we tried not to be bitter or angry or resentful i imagine and yet and yet you're striving every day to to scrape together the money to be able to provide this spay neuter which is a big big deal to have created a system in which you can do that mobile vans and and doing events like this which are charming and delightful and wonderful and fun and you know up upbeat if you will uplifting but what a shame to have to carry the the financial heavy burden when the funding is there and is logically yeah. there for the good of society and for the cats i mean it's only a win win there's there's nothing about tnr that most of the world doesn't support and i can't even think how many people come on the show that have written books the alley cat allies lovely lady that wrote her book about managing community cats I mean, it's it's all societies in the world have community cats. So that's yeah. not going to go away. So instead of thinking that it'll just go away, if you go, I don't want it, it'd be a lot nicer to uh, to say, well, they're here to stay, and let's make it as pleasant and safe for everybody as possible, including the cats. 
So the, yeah. the architects for animals, you said that some of the voting can take place online as well. Do you pay a little fee to place a vote? Um, no, actually, the voting is all done at Herman Miller okay. uh, showroom, and the online auction is going to be for the shelters if somebody wants to buy a shelter. Oh, I see. Um, and, of course, buy a cat bowl, buy a celebrity. Um, so we, uh, it, what am I saying? Herman Miller is like, um, it's 15,000 square foot showroom. So it's going to have this really just nice layout and just going to be a nice you know reception just it, it was amazing the last time we had no idea what to expect our first time out and we had press from all over the world no amazing. kidding how cool that's really cool because it's great to know that other countries where cats are thought so highly of i mean not that they're not in america they are but there's countries where they're i, th- I think japan and certainly oh, England, yeah, where they're 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 highly regarded. I mean, with great reverence, if you will. Did they did those did, did those countries were they represented by press taking pictures and writing articles? Oh, absolutely. We had press from Spain, from England, from Japan, from Romania. Wow! You name it, it was insane. We were in Slate, Architectural Digest, no kidding, Company, Huffington Post. Oh my goodness. And, and what was great about it is, because, you know, we, we all love cats, but it's very important to also get outside your circle and let others know what's going on. And by having the architects involved and they, you know, calling us and learning more about, you know, what, why we do what we do, which helps them think about how they design, that they, we are now crossing into people that maybe knew nothing about it. That's right. The homeless cats. And it's the same for me. You know, I had no idea until I came across a bunch of homeless cats and started learning about, oh, my goodness, they're all out here. So it's, it, I love the crossover. You know, you're educating yes. other people, and you're getting into an, uh, another world. You're getting into the architectural world, not just cats. So you have so, you have you have art, architecture, design, people that are yep. focused in that direction, many of whom think cats are magnificent may or may not have them themselves but certainly i think anyone who's arty if you will thinks that the cat is you know the most beautiful artistic creation of all time it's kind of what's that thing a cat is perfect right so how wonderful that people can see these shelters go online to fixnation.org are the shelters the it five days from now is march 10th are the shelters obviously already online for people to see or are you only going to put them up there after the event on on the 10th uh, well, they'll be, we'll be they'll be at the event, and then they'll be online for people to see. Right afterwards. So everyone, yeah, you know, right. just keep that, yeah. mark that in your calendar. So if you want to see them, and you might even want to, to go online and, and place a bid for the auction, it'll be either the night of March 10th or maybe March 11th. But uh, you, you've heard about it first here, so... I, I hope that everyone in Los Angeles gets a chance to come over to Culver City and enjoy the experience of being around other uh, design-oriented, cat-loving people. Yes, and um, I promise you will be blown away as everybody is. It sounds so cool. Plus, there's going to be this whole area of the showroom that yep. that Kate will have decked out in House Panther catification style so you can see the really remarkable ways you can make your house and your walls and your ceiling cat friendly and the cats can have an amazing time and you can feel incredibly chic while they're doing it right 
Yes, and we just happened to, um, my first bowl that had come to me was from Bo Bridges, and it was, you know, I didn't know how much he knew about kitties and so on, and apparently he grew up with cats and so on, so his bowl is very clever, you know. It's, it's nice. About his family. It'll stuff. be great to see these. Thank you so much, Karin. Great good luck at the event. I hope it raises lots of money and lots of awareness and, and gets you inspired to keep doing your wonderful work. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. We'll be right back after this quick word with Jennifer Erdman and her quite amazing new treat, yogurt. We'll be right back. This show is brought to you with the generous support of Halo, holistic, natural cat and dog foods, which are made from real ingredients you can recognize. Halo uses real meat in their kibble, no rendered byproducts, chicken meal, or chemicals. And their new grain-free recipes, like Vigor, give you even more healthy choices for your pet's dinner, while Daily Greens brings vitamins and digestive enzymes into your dog's diet. Halo is a private company partly owned by Ellen DeGeneres, where they emphasize giving back, by making donations to shelters through freekibble.com for pets awaiting a forever home. I am back with Jennifer Erdman, who I have just met because of this quite amazing product she has called Yogurt. I love the name. It's spelled E-W-E as in the female sheep, Gert as in yogurt. And she's in South Barrington, Illinois, and she's come up with the most amazing way to give a treat to your dog that is healthy for them, but I'm just amazed at how many people are out there going, I know, I can do this. Jennifer, welcome to the show, and congratulations for having created an already successful product in a world filled with, with competition. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, you should be proud. Sheep's milk and sheep's milk cheese and sheep's milk products, Having myself having spent such a long time in Italy, they're very present um, in all kinds of cheeses, pecorino, that the kind of pecorino you never see in America, that's soft, delicious, or ricotta made from sheep's milk cheese. And I used to have a wonderful flock of sheep. My, my neighbor was a farmer in Tuscany, and, and I would get some of these wonderful sheep's milk products as a thank you for letting him, me letting his sheep graze around my little olive grove and on my, <laughs> my semblance of a lawn. What what turned you into a sheep's milk lover? What, what where did the, where did the uh, the light bulb go off for you? I know sheep's milk. I'll make a dog product out of sheep's milk. What, what made you think this? I actually um, met this wonderful family dairy up in Wisconsin and met with them, and they actually were starting to offer to their customers sheep's milk yogurt. So that just started um, intriguing me. So I did some research on it, and then really realized how unbelievably nutritious it is. It's loaded with vitamins and, and, and minerals. And I thought, well, gosh, that could be terrific for pets, for, for doggies. But what were you doing at the time? What was your day job, so to speak, at the time? Um, I was really just a, uh, I, I was a stay-at-home stay mom for my four golden retrievers. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And they're beautiful. And there's going to be a photo of them accompanying the podcast of this. They are gorgeous, gorgeous goldens. Thank you. So you're Very a, proud of them. You should be, but I love it. A stay-at-home mom for my dogs. You know, I should identify myself that way. Yeah. I mean, you know what? A lot of dogs do require a full-time governance yes. and uh, interreaction and, and that interaction. And that's, and that's a totally legitimate reason to stay home. <laughs> <laughs> but it would seem to me that sheep's milk um, would be in, in short supply, although you did meet these farmers. Yes. And I know that when you go to the fancy human uh, store and you want to buy sheep's milk or goat milk products or yogurt, it's really expensive. So did yes. you stop and think, well, but this is going to cost me and then as a product, an arm and a leg? Or did you have some idea of how to do it so it would be affordable for you and the customer? 
Um, I actually, I have to say, I really didn't think about it because <laughs> I felt, I know, oopsie, because I felt it, it was so healthy that I was hoping other people would recognize that as well. Okay, so, so what about sheep's milk that you learned? What about it has these enormous health benefits? I know that back in the day, or maybe even these days, that when people have children that are lactose intolerant and can't drink cow's yes. milk, that sheep's milk and products and goat's milk and products work for them. So yes, it works. Actually, so it's different in the digestive process for, yes, for us and yes. dogs, right? Yes. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, I call it almost a super probiotic because, um, again, like you mentioned, dogs that are lactose intolerant can, can actually tolerate it. So I felt, wow, now that's, you know, that in itself is terrific. So I felt that doggies with maybe tummy issues could benefit from this, you know, like they do um, with other products out there. Well, so, like, like, for example, the, um, the Honest Kitchen, which is a company that I right. love, has something called Bloom or ProBloom, and it's, it's dried, dehydrated goat's milk that you then rehydrate, oh, and it's, it's, it's for those probiotic reasons, but it's not right. the same as a treat, and it's goat, not sheep. So, yes, there, it's been recognized scientifically and by the kind of, you know, the foodie world that there are really good benefits to to that ingredient. But then you thought, okay, you were going to make a treat out of it, didn't you? Yes. And you've never done this before. All you've done is, like, make dinner nope. for your dogs. So how did you think, okay, I'm going to – I've met these farmers. We've shaken hands. They say, we'll give you our, our sheep's milk yogurt. How did you invent the idea of how to make it into something that would be a treat, a snack? Okay, so I've – I mean, I, I, like many, many people out there – I've made treats for my doggies that they really, you know, that they really enjoyed. So I, so I thought, well, let me start researching what ingredients I could put into it. Part of the, um, part of the, most of the ingredients that are in the yogurt are really beneficial, you know, to us, actually. Right. Um, so, so I kind of translated that into this treat and thought, well, if it's beneficial for me, it's, definitely should be beneficial for dogs. That's, so that's, that's true because I, they have a digestive system very right. similar to ours, unlike the cat that doesn't or the cow that doesn't. They do. Right, I mean, right. they, they, their digestion, when they have problems, it's like when we have problems and when things go well, so, ditto, right? Right, exactly, exactly. So I started looking at ingredients, and I came up with sardines. <laughs> well, it's going to be one ingredient. Then I added kale. Then I added beets. Then I added parsley, and then I was like, oh, I'll just throw in some apple cider vinegar because I actually use that for them as well for the, for the digestion, and it actually naturally wards off fleas too. And then my final ingredient was, you know, the, the organic coconut oil, which, I'm, which is so beneficial for us again. <laughs> and it's also, so, it's also been documented a lot in the Whole Dog Journal, coconut oil as, as being the great uh, you know, health tonic for dogs. Yes. So you're yes. going through these ingredients, and I'm thinking, okay, well, great, Jennifer. But how did you, I? Did you not have friends at the time that said, Jennifer, you know, get a life. Don't be ridiculous. This sounds too expensive and too complicated. I mean, all those ingredients sound great, but what made you think you could mush them all together and create? Oops, there's your other telephone. Oops. Yeah. Um, okay. What made you think you could make them into a treat? Well, I just thought, okay, um, here I am in my kitchen, and I thought I'll just squeeze and all the ingredients Seriously. together and see if my dogs like it. 
That is, I mean, this is really how, I mean, this is how the honest kitchen began. I'm totally in awe that somebody, I would, I would be going, nah, how can I possibly compete in this big, heavy world where, you know, there's the giant pet food companies and even the, the boutique companies. And you're like, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to play with my food in my kitchen, basically. Yes, exactly. And I actually love to cook. So this was just kind of another outlet. Oh, let me try to cook. I can't believe it. Cook a little something for them. But was it um, raw? Was it raw or cooked? These various things. Oh, everything is raw. Right, which is has you know nowadays they think there's so much more health benefit to things not being cooked. But when you thought beets, and then you have a pretty funny story that you told me off the air about beets. That at first I thought you said beef when you were first telling me, and I'm like, (laughs) oh my god, she drove 600 pounds of beets. But it's beets. (laughs) What I would have thought, even if beets had occurred to me, which are a really fabulous food, I adore them, and in England. I found recently that all these prepackaged salad makings have have shaved or or slivered raw beets in them. We we don't use it enough in America. In the West Coast, you see no. it on salads right. all the time. But what made you think that a hard as a rock beet would be something you could manage? Why, why would you come up with something so difficult? Okay, actually, the beets my holistic vet came up with. Oh. And the reason she said, you know, and she's like, I, I think beets would be a great ingredient because it actually flushes the liver. Oh, my goodness. So it's fabulous. I mean, again, you know, of course, then I ran out and got beets for us to eat. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Well, you know, I, I'm going to be talking to Dr. Deb because I think she was really helpful and instrumental in what you were doing on pet food advisors yes. or holistic vets because I'm yes. always so excited to meet people that have these innovative ideas that have a basis in common knowledge or old-fashioned wisdom or something. So you took all of these ingredients and you ground them up in your Cuisinart, including the sheep's milk yogurt, because that was like yes. the, the uh, genesis of your idea. How did you make it all stick together and not just be one big blobby mush? Okay, so what I did originally was to put it in little cups and freeze it. Ah. So I thought, well, you know, the kids, <laughs> my little fur kids, what a nice treat, you know, yes. instead of giving them just ice cream or whatever. Oh, what or, I do, or, frozen cuts of broccoli, which... There you go. That's my and dog's so, treat. I'm sure they would much rather have a yogurt treat. But that was when you were thinking frozen, which is obviously complicated. Yes. yes. So so that was my initial trial. Um, and then what I did is I, I actually gave a bunch of it to my friends to, to give it to their dogs and see if they liked it. You know, because I wanted to make sure that the that the recipe was going to be terrific for all sorts of doggies and breeds. Right. You know, and not only mine that um, kind of watch mommy cook in the kitchen. Right. <laughs> and they feel obligated to eat whatever. <laughs> so, so everyone's, I, I'm assuming everyone's dogs liked it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, they actually came back and they're like, can we have some more? I'm like, sure. So were they your first customers? Yes, yes. Really? Mm-hmm. And did they pay you? I mean, it's none of my damn business, but did they at some point? Did you think, um, maybe yes, I'll just, yeah. maybe, did you think, well, I'll just sell locally? I'll sell to maybe a, a darling little boutique pet store or something and make a little cottage industry? Was that your, Were you thinking small or large? Were you already thinking, I'm going to take I on was, the world? I was thinking small, but then again, you know, like eyes in, eyes in the sky, like, whoa, this could potentially be bigger. But you start small and you see how it goes. And I actually, um, a lot of my agility friends 
you know, tried it and then started buying because they were like, we're going to buy this. Really? And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, it's kind of silly. Yeah. I mean, you know, scary at I, first. I'm, I'm thinking of David's, Mrs. David's cookies. What were those things called 100 years ago? No, Mrs. Somebody's cookies that were just these great. Mrs. Field. There I you go. Right? Thank you. I couldn't remember the name. Um, and she really just made cookies that were, I mean, you think, aren't there enough chocolate chip cookies in the world? And apparently there right. weren't, and hers were better. And and I think there's something so American entrepreneurial about the idea, I have a good idea, and even if no one else gets it, I have this belief. And then you sell yeah. here and there, and then 17 other people you haven't met go, I want it too. And you're thinking, whoa, what's going on here? Maybe I had a bigger, better idea than I expected. And I guess one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you was to sort of inspire people that it's really good to dream and you can have yes, dreams that yes that that may not seem completely rational or you know they're certainly not conservative there's a risk involved but i mean at worst case scenario you had a lifetime of treats for your own pack right <laughs> it didn't work out absolutely absolutely yes okay so the agility people liked it for their dogs they must have seen some per- personal benefit yes Yes, and actually, um, that was a that was kind of I stumbled upon the benefit as well. So um, I have a fairly active pack, <laughs> ranging from one years old to ten. Okay, and you know, of course, with different personalities right. and all that good right. stuff. And so, um, and you know, they can play four of four of them as a pack. It's sort of I can go to the dog park, and I'm I'm a I'm a dog instant dog park. <laughs> I love it. You are. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, all right, um, after, after their dinner, it's, it's treat time. So I gave them all the, the yogurt treats, and, you know, and they, they, they sat there, and they, and they were licking the frozen treat and was like, yummy, yummy, yummy. And so once they finished, usually with treats, you know, they start playing again. Well, I'm sitting there, and I'm going, what's going on here? Why are you guys all so relaxed? And all four of them were happily just relaxed and just kind of like, hmm, this is, this is, and I'm, I'm, you know, this is unreal. So what I did is I actually went back and I started looking at the ingredients of the sheep's milk a little closer, you know, all the vitamins and the minerals. And I come across, it's like, wow, there's a huge amount of magnesium in there. And so I look up magnesium and magnesium is nature's relaxant. I'll be darned. Voila. So from that was kind of, you know, the light bulb went off. And I thought to myself, wow, potentially I can help some other dogs. I mean, your yeah. dogs didn't need to relax, but it happened to relax them. Yeah. But, of course, there yeah. are lots of dogs that are wound up or anxious or separation anxiety or what have you. and Right. And actually one of mine, Dino, he is – He's always been anxious. I mean, he's at the, with a loud noise, he jumps. And he's, you know, since puppyhood. So, you know, my goal was like always, hey, what, what natural product could I help him right. to just kind of stabilize a little bit yep. more? And um, basically, he, when he gets too stressed or is under very stressful situations, he actually has grand mal seizures. Whoa. Yes, whoa. So, you know, for him... To not have those, that that would be huge. It would be huge for him and huge yes, for me. Yes, yes. And so you and, found that, that this had this beneficial effect on him. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
And yep. then I went on your website, and then I invited you to, to be actually a sponsor of um, Holistic Vets, because I think people that think holistically would em- embrace yes. the ideology behind the yogurt and the product. And I saw that there were a number of people who'd written in and said that they had really hyper-anxious dogs and that this was had a calming effect on them, which is pretty interesting because – that's you know it, with people they used to say have honey and warm milk before you go to bed that it would Absolutely. kind of make you sleepy and i don't think anyone's ever translated that concept which has been known about for you know decades centuries whatever into something for dogs but it seems that there really is um a very chilling calming laid back ability of the of these ingredients or that ingredient in particular to to make a dog chilled out and you've seen that mm-hmm. happen with people that that embraced yes. what you had. So, what is the ne- what was the next leap forward as we as we go forward? I mean, you 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 made it into a company. You have pet stores that buy your product. I mean, it, and and this and the six hundred pounds of beets, which for a minute I thought was beef when you told me the story. I mean, <laughs> you were getting into your I guess your mommy van because with four dogs you have to have a big van. Absolutely. And you, Absolutely. And you went and cornered the market on beets and. In a- I did. I did. I, I, I actually did the same with the kale. And what I, with, um, the original kale and beets that I got, um, I actually contacted um, the farmer, and he said, well, I can give them to you if you come up and you dig them out yourself. No. You didn't yes. tell me that. <laughs> so I actually, yes, Stop. I was kind of like, all right, put those sweats on. Oh, get my in that car. goodness. And, and so what I did is I went out with, with him to the field, to, and I, like, he gave me a special instrument. And I, I dug out the kale. Uh, now, at the time, was 100 pounds and 100 pounds of uh, beets. Wow. And, and loaded them all up and, yes, so brought this, them back in I the had, mommy van. I had no <laughs> idea you did the digging. It's sort of like the uh, pick-your-own-apples yes. or the pick-your-own-strawberries, but it's a lot yep. more work than that, not to mention you have to wash <laughs> them off. Hello. Anybody who belongs to the, you know, the wonderful cooperative farms in the Hamptons knows that at some point you're like, this is adorable, but the part where you have to lug it home and clean it off yes. and wash the dirt, yes. it's it's daunting. I just have to thank you for, for persevering and for digging up the beets and the kale and for thinking, well, why the hell not? And I know you're coming up with, with more ingredients and more flavors, and I hope that, that lots of stores, that people will see the yogurt in there and know that, you know, this is one lady's idea and a pack of golden retrievers who inspired her. So hats off to you, really. I think it's terrific. Thank you. And, uh I'm scared to know what you'll think of next, but with any luck, this will keep you plenty, plenty busy just like yes. this, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's wonderful to meet you, and uh, congratulations on like on having such a, a, a big success from a little idea and a lot of work, a lot of yes. a lot of yes. sweat, yes, equi- a lot of sweat <laughs> equity, a lot of labor, and a lot of, um, I think, courage to go, I can do this. Thank you so right. much, Jennifer. Take care. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you all for listening. Wonderful to know all the extraordinary and amazing things that that pet-loving animals around the country are doing. And I'm hoping you're doing good things for your dogs and cats, too. Kiss your kitties, hug your pooches, and we will be talking soon. Bye for now.